Well, it's a sort of home away from home now, isn't it, the Emirates? It's, it's easy, easy, easy. Just a really interesting game, actually. Veritably, it was indeed a game of two halves. Or perhaps more accurately, it was a game of three quarters, where we... Oh, you mean it didn't finish? At four quarters. It was a game of four quarters. Bad maths. We absolutely dominated the first half. And then the first half of the second half, we kind of fell apart, didn't we? That's right, yeah. I mean, you're right. Arsenal had a very bright start. United completely dominated the last half hour of that first half. Arsenal really took the game to United in, in the beginning of the second period. I mean, I was, I was tweeting about it at the time. We better be careful here because our performances in the second half are, are rubbish. It, it's true. It's true. Factually. Fact. I, I'm talking facts now. United are rubbish in the second half. Last season, I saw somebody tweet, last season we were rubbish away from home. This season, we're rubbish in the second half. It's true. You're best in the Premier League away from home by uh, quite some considerable distance. So, and I don't know where that's come from. Uh, there's not any really obvious tactical change other than United just a bit bolder this season, I think, away from home. And, and Ferguson said it afterwards, didn't he? he? He said we were adventurous. And that's right. United went and attacked Arsenal. And Patrice Evra was brilliant, I thought. And not just in the game afterwards. He, he said, you know, we played our normal game against Arsenal and got the normal result. It's some paraphrasing there. But essentially, that was the case. I mean, they, they didn't try and beat up Arsenal as they have done in the past, but they attacked and they attacked with loads of players on the break. And it was very successful. And by the end of the game, it was 10-3 on aggregate. 10-3 on aggregate. 10-3 on aggregate. Uh, Marvellous. I mean, it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't in any way, shape or form, the sort of game that that 8-2 was. Because the, the 8-2 was a real aberration. But but even so, I think it, it showed just how wide the gulf between the two clubs who were once absolutely neck and neck has become. Because Arsenal are just nothing like the force they were. And it, it was sort of dispiriting to see the way the fans turned on Arsene Wenger to, to sing you don't know what you're doing at him when he made a substitution albeit that that was a substitution which seemed to have a very ne- negative impact on their performance and, and directly enabled us to get the winner well yes I mean I agree with both those points there so so the first point on, on the fans reaction to Arsene Wenger I, I think that's really sad And but, but they have had six years of, of no success and they're, they're being told that the fans that is they're being told to readjust their, their opinion of what Arsenal is from a team that challenged for titles under Arsene Wenger and in fact under George Graham in the early 90s as well that you know one of the biggest clubs in in the land and a club with genuine and real history uh, to to now being you know we're fighting for the top four this sort of Champions League place that matters and and you're getting an entertaining brand of football and and you should accept that and and I think uh, the fans did for a long time and they were very bought in actually Arsenal fans to to the philosophy that you know the way Wenger plays is the right one and youthful players and that kind of thing and I think they've kind of reached their threshold now and I know not every Arsenal fans is the same and I'm tiring them all with that same brush but it does seem a consensus has been brought up now another way of looking at this one is to start deconstructing Wenger's career and, and yes he's you know creates some brilliant teams play brilliant football and yes they've had you know a lot of success in terms of his the early part of Wenger's reign they had the early double and then they had the, the second one didn't they and then they had the Invincibles team that didn't lose in the Premier League quite a few defeats elsewhere that season just had to bring that one in you, you cannot ever ever I've never ever heard literally not just on a podcast or on the website or literally listeners any conversation we've ever had about it in real life if he ever mentions that Arsenal winning season you can bet that cup results are going to be out there straight away well United won the Champions League in 1999 without losing any games did, did that make us invincible <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember that term ever being used United European invincibles 
it's, it, look, it's patently nonsense, isn't it? So it's it, look anyway. So so coming coming back to my point, all that that period of success actually, if you t- take it in aggregate, three Premier League titles in fifteen seasons and a few other cup, right? It's not that much for a club that historically is was one of the most successful in land, one of the biggest London, the capital's biggest team, financially stable and successful, not in, in burdened by debt. They have you know wealthy fans that pay a lot of money to go there, and and in the last five, six, seven years, Wenger hasn't been delivering the trophies. And then you suddenly have to ask, you know, why? Is it, as he lost it, has he changed his philosophy? Is Arsenal as a club different? Are they restricted by the, the fact that the Emirates Stadium was built? Well, the club says no to that. It says Wenger's got money. Now, I think the fingers then laid pointed at Wenger and you have to ask, what has changed in him? And he has changed how he's approached building a club. It, there was a point that he actually bought kind of senior experienced players and built teams around those. And now he doesn't do that anymore. And, and I think he's all kind of coming to a head and I'm not saying that Wenger should go or will go but but the frustration is building I mean they're not going to win anything this season are they again no absolutely and it's a sort of it's a it's a very interesting point and I, I've you know there are a lot of parallels between us and them I mean you, you talked about the, the club say he has money to spend and he's just choosing not to and of course we're, we're in a very similar position because you know Fergie says the money's available and he's choosing not to spend it but the last six years of basically shown that ultimately Ferguson is a much much better manager than Arsene Wenger because at one point they were absolutely neck and neck you know and a season to the next we'd be better they'd be better you know then it was sort of very back and forth but he just hasn't been able to he just hasn't been able to extend that has he? No I mean I think a lot of it's to do with his change in philosophy it's, it's, it's almost like he's bought into his own myth I think they became even more passing in triangles uh, tactically and, and to the point where they're trying to pass it into the into the net and buying more and more of the same kind of player you know small technical can absolutely do that if you've got the players that are good enough to do it Arsenal perhaps don't Barcelona perhaps do uh, and they seem to have lost the edge that they used to have I mean there's no way an Arsenal side would get bullied when they had Vieira and Petit in, in the side no way you know, they were doing the bullying they had a horrendous disciplinary record as well in the early seasons under Arsene Wenger but they also had a team that as well as having plenty of talent was tough as nails and, and they went out and won championships because of having that right mix and I don't think they've got the right balance at the moment I think strategically Wenger's got it wrong and it's quite easy to sit here as a Manchester United fan uh, soaking up cup after cup and lay out all the analysis on Arsenal and then point the finger and, and uh, I, you know I'm sure Wenger's trying to do the best but you just wonder whether he's got it right Yeah and I mean evidence has shown that he hasn't I mean the landscape of Premiership football has been changed so dramatically by the arrival of the money at Chelsea and then the money at Manchester City and for, through some combination of powerhouse that is Manchester United and Ferguson's incredible determination and ability as a football manager he's managed to ride the storms uh, in a way that Wenger Wenger hasn't been able to yes another absolutely magnificent performance from uh, Valencia yeah he was awesome again I mean it's it's great when Valencia is in this mood I mean he's not he's not the most technically gifted player on the planet Uh, he's not going to score the most goals he's not going to hit every statistical high but but isn't he great watching him when he's just old-fashioned and running at players you know with that power and, and the pace and the directness and and he creates he creates goals and he scores goals as well and I, I thought he had a fantastic game once again he 
He's going to need to keep doing it, though. We're going to have a chat about injuries in a bit, I guess, but it looks like Nani's out for a long time, so Valencia's become a, uh, suddenly become a very key player for United. Yeah, and it's it's fortunate that he's hit a, an incredibly purple patch of form just at a time when he's really needed. Uh, Giggs was having an absolute shocker in the first half. He just kept giving the ball away every time he got it and until he played that gorgeous ball to Valencia for the goal. Uh, funnily enough, Giggs found himself on the left wing and was much more effective than he was as a central midfielder. Almost as if he was a left winger. Almost as if, yeah. It's, it's a shame. He's been a bit like that in a few games this season, Giggs, when he's played through the centre. Well, I know he hasn't played that many games, but, but he has. It feels like he's given the ball away and he's been a bit loose with it. So, uh, Which is a shame because I, I didn't really feel that was the case last season. And again, didn't play that often. And But you know, mostly it was through the centre or just off the striker, wasn't it? And, but, you know, he's he's still got it, hasn't he? Sometimes, uh, even if he's having a bad game, fantastic cross for, for Valencia. And Valencia leapt like the proverbial salmon and nodded it in. He did indeed. I'm not sure whether he smiled in his goal celebration. Uh, so that's the thing I'm really keeping an eye on during Valencia's excellent form. How often does he is he break into a smile? Very serious looking man. Very serious looking man. Yeah, he's, he's got some troubles you know, there. He needs to, needs to let some of that go, doesn't he? Do you, do you think he kind of comes off the pitch and listens to like old blues singers and stuff? What? Yes. You know, he's just like a big lead belly fan. I mean, he's just, he's just thinking about the state of the world, I think Valencia is. And he's like, okay, well, it's all very well. I've scored this goal. But, you know, there's still people in trouble. If he, if he could speak English, which he really doesn't very well, then we might find out. Maybe he's not listening to lead belly then. Maybe he's listening to Ecuadorian folk songs about troubled farmers and stuff. Yeah, a bit of 60s jazz. Yeah, well, we all know that's what Dimitar Berbatov listens to. Who's still at the club, incidentally, as we record this? E- yes, even though, you know, we were talking about him leaving. It looks like he's going to stay. I'm still, they haven't activated this extra one year at some point. I'm sure they will. There's no point of him going on a free other than other than just to save the wages. But that seems a pretty myopic way of looking at it. Uh, I think they'll probably activate that one year. But it'll be a surprise if he's here an awful lot longer than the summer, wouldn't it? And he's still not playing. No, which is uh, still a shame. But, I mean, he certainly wasn't needed. Super Danny Welbeck on show again against the Arsenal. Uh, an excellent goal and led the line really well once again. You now, I had a few thoughts on the, the blog this week and just wrote a little piece about him. And and the, and the way I look at Danny Welbeck, when I saw three years ago when he first, you know, had he had about 10 games in the team. I'd say about three years ago, mix of cup and a few substitute appearances in the league and stuff like that. And he tended to have a go on the wing, didn't he? And Ferguson pushed him out there and he looked like a striker playing on the wing with some technical quality and you just weren't quite sure about him. And, and at that time, I think if you'd been asked to pick, you'd have said that Federico Macheda would be the, the player that's more likely to make it of the two. And that's definitely not the case, is it? And he's he's kind of filled out. He's got muscle. He's got all that power and pace. He's, he's almost stopped growing. Apparently he still hasn't. And he's become a proper Premier League striker and he gives United a real different dimension I mean he's got he's got that kind of physical presence if if he needs to but he's a lot more than that and he runs the channels and he he's able to run onto a ball you know play through or over the top and play on the last defender or run the or you know run into the channels and take players out of position he's he's, uh, he's been a real asset to United this season yeah no absolutely and interestingly he's sort of marginalised player that was an incredible asset to United last season that was Hernandez who uh, hasn't really got a look in has he this season for, for a little while 
while. No, well, he's been unlucky. I mean, he had the Gold Cup, so he had an extra rest. Then, then as soon as he came back, he had that concussion in pre-season. Then he had that bad knock on the ankle against Aston Villa. Then he had the, the knock on the thigh. So it's been a really disrupted season. It's, it's just, I think he's just been really unlucky, really. But the thing is that Welbeck's development has kind of shown up some you know, inadequacies in Hernandez's game. You know, when he's not just poaching goals and, and he is still, you'd say, the best finisher at the club, then you kind of feel that Welbeck's adding more to the team. So I think I think Hernandez, if he's fit and gets some time, he, he may well play this weekend. I think he's still going to be a huge asset to United in the, the running. I mean, if, if I wanted to, I wanted someone to score me a goal in a crucial game, you're not going to worry about Hernandez not being able to deliver it for you, are you? So I think he's still going to be very key for United this season. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I hope so, because he's obviously extremely likeable. But him and him and Welbeck, I mean, they could definitely play together in the in the longer run. They could do it. It doesn't feel like quite the, the natural fit of Rooney and Welbeck. I mean, it's just nice, isn't it? You know, Welbeck is perfectly happy leading the line in a way that Dimitar Berbatov hasn't always been, uh, I mean, at least not in that same kind of dynamic way. And it allows Rooney to drop deep into a position that's natural for Rooney, uh, even if Rooney didn't actually have that good a game against Arsenal, really. But it just seems to work as a combination. Not that Rooney and Hernandez doesn't. Uh, I think they've they've had a good combination. Hernandez and Welbeck, well, we haven't seen it much, have we? So we'll have to see with that one. Uh, they, they, you might feel they'd be both wanting to play right at the top on the shoulder of the defenders. So um, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see. But but you know what? The funny thing is, I, I don't even think it was the striker that won United the game. And I know it was two, a couple of classic goals, really. Uh, Valencia, United's second running at a defender and the one-two at Park and the cutback. And then the first, obviously, the cross from Giggs. And they're kind of both strikers' goals in a way. But I think United just outpassed Arsenal. I think, they, I mean, they had more possession. They had more total passes. They, they passed better, more accurately, more decisive. It, they just had more quality. They, they out-Arsenaled Arsenal in Arsenal's home patch. They did, and if you look at Michael Carrick's shortboard after that game, is an absolute joy to behold. Uh, I thought he had another excellent game. The player that got man of the match from Alan Smith, which in many cases would mean that the player who was somehow the least relevant to the overall outcome, because Alan Smith is not a good man of the match picker, but he picked out Patrice Everett as man of the match, who he did have a pretty storming game down that left wing, didn't he? Yeah, he had a good game. Uh, he's had a few good games now, actually. I think he's been coming back into form, and and yeah, f- fair enough. Uh, he wasn't man of the match. He's not the player that won United the tie by any means. But as recognition for a, a good game, yeah, fair enough. I, I, I thought he had a very really everyone played well for about sixty minutes of that game, a- and then there was about thirty minutes where everyone didn't, and they kind of fell into their shell. But but in the totality, pretty much everyone had a good game. Rooney not so much, and and Giggs not so much apart from the apart from the assist for the goal. But generally speaking, Ferguson's got to be really happy with that. I mean, if he's uh, yeah as bad as United were against Blackburn and, and Newcastle well that was pretty good and you've got to feel pretty confident about the games coming up if United can maintain that I mean it was a very interesting thing that happened at the beginning of the second half and I do find the psychology of this Manchester United team particularly fascinating because I, as I've said several times before on the podcast I do think they're much more psychologically vulnerable than maybe any of Sir Alex's teams up to this point and yet they showed real determination against Arsenal because even when they really did start to play poorly they did manage to find a way to win the game under difficult circumstances because Arsenal were right back into it and of course I mean you know Arsenal if with better finishing would have would have been ahead wouldn't they because they, they, they squandered a couple of really glorious opportunities Van Persie missing what was effectively an open goal yeah exactly and you know I was watching it and the, the chances kept falling to people other than Van Persie and then he missed that one chance but I was just thinking well we'll be alright so long as Van Persie doesn't end up on the end of one of these and eventually 
literally, of course, he did. But, but you know, what to make of these second-half slumps? Where do they come from? And last season, it was away from home without the support of that home environment and the crowd and all that stuff. They, the second half is a time when a team's strength is kind of needed. You know, their psychological strength is needed to face the adversity that they're up against and all that sort of thing. And I, I wonder what, where it's lacking. We've talked, perhaps it is to do with the, the lack of that Keane-esque leader on the pitch. Yeah, and there's a few younger players in there. I mean, it's not a super young team that played at Arsenal, but there are a few younger players in there and guys who haven't really been through it before. And, and yes, maybe they do need a real leader or, or the experienced head. I mean, in, in Ryan Giggs and, and Rio Ferdinand, when he's fit, obviously wasn't this weekend. They they do have some super experienced players. And Michael Carrick, you kind of feel, has to has to maybe take on some of that, you know, playing in the middle of the pitch, playing well and, and also now 30. Uh, you, you kind of think he has to do it. It might not come naturally to him, though. And, and that's maybe the issue I mean I, I don't know I've always been I've always been a bit dubious about this kind of British need for the bulldog to you know shout and scream at people and I look at so many good sort of overseas teams in you know in quotes there who, who never have that kind of player or, and and don't give them the captaincy I mean the captaincy just goes to the most experienced player I don't know whether we need that particularly keen but we definitely need leaders you know people who will say this is what we don't need to do now we'll take those big games by the scruff of the neck or work out the patterns of play and we'll stop the team retrenching as they have done quite a lot in second halves this season and I think it's, it's when United go a bit negative that the problems all come and they did start dropping off against Arsenal for 15 minutes or so and and that could have been a real problem if Van Persie had scored then United might have been looking at a defeat I wonder if it's partly not having Rio and Vidic as that you know immovable centre-back partnership uh, I wonder if 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 the midfield miss them uh, in, in those second halves when they start to be under the cosh a little bit because they're so incredibly reliable as a centre-back pairing um, and Smalling and Evans, who both played well, n- neither of them are in that are in that league of incredibly reassuring, totally solid, never going to make a mistake defenders because they're so well. Because in Smalling's case, he's so young, and Johnny Evans, who I think has come on absolute leaps and bounds this season, and if he keeps this trajectory, then all those Johnny Evans doubters are going to be proved pretty far wrong, I think. But but still, he's not Nemanja Vidic, you know. No, he's not, and I mean, I I just can't see Evans ever taking on that leadership role. He's definitely been better this season. Season and, and in recent weeks, very good sometimes, uh, uh, injury aside. Smalling, uh, could he be a leader? I mean, he's certainly confident uh, on the pitch. I mean, he's, he's not scared about doing anything. I think his distribution's improving as well by the week. Uh, and he's very confident with the media off the pitch. You, you, you might think he could uh, eventually, but he's very young. He's 21, so you kind of have to give him some time. And then, then obviously Jones, who didn't play, uh, he feels like, he feels more like that kind of natural leader. You know, kind of, as you said the other week, that kind of bombastic style and also his personality and all that but the performances have to go with it yeah absolutely and um, we had a question uh, from my friend joe at joe diego 24 who i should point out as a, a good friend of mine in actual real life and is a fine individual but has a really big problem which is that he does not rate the De Silva brothers at all and he thinks they're never ever going to make it at United he's absolutely sure of that so he says question for the rank cast after being subbed as a sub and with the Klein rumours what does the future hold for Rafael De Silva Arsenal's goal summed up Rafael's career at United exciting attacking foray that came to nothing out of position when needed the exact reason Fergie doesn't play him in big games anymore he did play him but yeah well eventually yeah I mean it it was quite telling and he, and he does he does play him in big games as well I'm, I'm not sure I buy that one well look look two things here one you have actual real friends 
I think the rank house <laughs> listeners will be shocked with this one. Apparently, it's true. I can't vouch for this. No. And uh, t- two, I mean, I don't know. I just don't buy it. I think he's got too much talent to fail. And, and yes, he makes mistakes. He's 21. 21. He's had a lot of injuries. He's not super experienced. He hasn't played 100 games for United yet. And sometimes he gets caught out of position. I thought he was pretty unlucky with the Arsenal goal, really. He made a great run forward. A fantastic tackle. And then from there, it was two passes and a goal. So a very unarsenal two long balls to to get it up to the edge of the area and then obviously a fine bit of play between Sarbanes Oxley and Van Persie put it in <laughs> that's an inside joke for us economists the funniest thing I've ever heard Sorry, I was just going to need a moment. The thing is, that's the reason why there's been so little investment in Arsenal, because IPO rules have been so negatively affected by them buying Sarbanes-Oxley. Sarbanes-Oxley is all about retention of capital. So, yeah, that's exactly what Arsenal have been doing here. (laughs) This is all hilarious if you care about economics at all. I think one of the things that Joe was saying um, was that it was kind of frustrating to see De Silva pound the, the, the floor with his fist when he lost the ball instead of just getting up and running back. I mean, he would never have got anywhere near there in time. And I think that can't really criticise fullbacks for ending up out of position because part of the job of a fullback is to attack. Sometimes sometimes you're going to lose the ball. And United do push their fullbacks forward, yeah. And lo- losing the ball was a mistake. And obviously got booked for pulling back a winger card it's one of those ones you can like at what point are you going to learn that you get a yellow card when you do that yeah and i i I tweeted at the time Raphael booked for his special move you know you play fifa you do quarter circle forward and he'll pull back the defender and get booked you know it's 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 the Raphael da silva special move and it's really stupid that he's still doing it but it it really is stupid and it's, it's something to do with inexperience i can only put it down to that or he's just really stupid <laughs> but he doesn't seem to you know they're, they're bright lads I think those to silver boys they, you know, they've got something about them haven't they it's, it's the hair I, I think he's I, you know I, I still think he's going to make it as United's, a United fullback I think he is Joe there mentioned Nathaniel Klein who I think is an excellent excellent player I mean I don't watch loads of championship football but I've seen him a couple of times and when United played Crystal Palace I did a little preview for a, another website and I picked him out as, uh, as someone I thought he could play at a high level and I think he will now will United do a deal this winter I don't see it I think Ferguson's probably happy with the fact that he's got Rafael, Fabio, Smalling and Jones and he all played there does he actually need another right a proper right back and yes he probably does the question is there does he really need another young one because Klein's only 20 will that really help solve the problem there or could he do with someone with a bit more experience maybe and uh, that that might be a bit better but uh, of course experience normally costs money unless they're not very good and, and there's two reasons why Klein's attractive you know, one he's a uh, English two he's got plenty of talent and and the third of my two reasons is is that he's going to be free in the summer or close to free yeah which is the everyone's favorite glazonomic reason of all isn't it yeah absolutely all right so I think that's the Arsenal game done and and the thing that I've been trying to put off for as long as possible we have to talk about the Liverpool game at the weekend as everyone who listens knows it's my least favorite fixture of the season because I don't like it when all our fans and all their fans turn into dribbling rageaholics and just insult each other and all that stuff and this one's going to be particularly intense because at some point Liverpool fans are going to boo Patrice Evra and that's just not cool if they do that I mean they haven't done it yet so maybe they won't but if they do then they're booing someone for being racially abused that's that's uh, what they're booing him for and it will happen I, I yeah, of course it will I guess we just hope that it is only booing and we don't get anything worse than that and I think Patrice ever is big enough to take it i don't buy any of the stuff 
stuff that I've heard about people saying that United should leave him at home. Uh, I, I think uh, you could say uh, Ever has the propensity to react. I mean, he has reacted factually and at times in, in matches and think about behind the scenes stuff, the, the French strike of which he was a major player, the fight with Sam Bethel at the warm down at the Chelsea game a few years ago. Even his reaction to Luis Suarez, as understandable as that was, you know, irritated and all that. So, yes, there is a propensity for Ever to react, but, you know, he's United's captain. He's 30 years old. I think he he will get through this. Uh, there's no reason not to play him because that would be giving in to racism, wouldn't it, in the most obvious way. And I just hope he goes out there, puts in a fantastic performance, and United win, and then all those idiots who are booing Evera or doing any worse than that will have to go un- unhappy and knocked out of the cup, and, and that's the worst that can happen to them Saturday. At Don McDowell asked that very question, should we rest him for his own good? And I, I think if the player somehow asked to be rested for his own good, that, that might be one thing, but I can't imagine that ever happening. And otherwise, no, you, I mean, if he's got the courage for the battle, you know, not the, not the football match, but if he's got the courage for the internal battle to go out there and face those people down, there's no way anyone should be stopping him do that, doing that, because it's a kind of horrendous thought, isn't it? That, that this player will be booed because he apparently correctly accused somebody of racially racial abuse and therefore we might not play him against those people you know it just doesn't even bear thinking about it's it's a horrible as you say it's exactly giving in to racism it's not just that Liverpool fans being myopic about this I mean it's pretty insanely myopic of Chelsea fans to sing songs about Anton Ferdinand who who wasn't the person actually made the complaint because he didn't no, it happened. The issue with Liverpool fans, of course, is that it's all been stoked up by the club and, and Liverpool and, and now, as a club are in a very entrenched position with Patrice Evra in that they've accused him of being unreliable and effectively said he made it all up. So here we are, the officials of Liverpool Football Club have said to their fan base, he's a liar and he has got your player banned for eight games and tarred with his brush of racism and dragged the club dragged through the mud. It's all his fault. So of course they're going to come out with a you know, hostile reaction to Patrick Severa because, because they're football fans and football fans are all going to follow Kenny Dalglish's lead. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a terrible indictment on Liverpool Football Club the way they've handled this situation and as, as anyone who listens knows I, I don't I literally I genuinely don't have anything against Liverpool Football Club I'm, I'm just not that sort of fan I don't hate them because of who they are as a club and I don't hate them because they used to win everything all the time and I don't care about any of that stuff I just think they've behaved absolutely disgracefully over this because as you say when Patrice Everett gets booed by the cop on Saturday morning it won't just be the myopia of football fans at work it will be the slander of Liverpool Football Club yeah absolutely and and and, uh, they fostered that libel. They they wrote it down. It's libel, right? They did write it down. Although Kenny Dalglish said a few things in a few press conferences as well. So that's a bit of slander, you know. But yeah, both throwing the full defamation gambit there. It's not going to be pleasant from that perspective. But but I think I think United is going to go there and win, even though there's a whole pl- bunch of players out. And with Stoke on the Tuesday night, Ferguson may well rotate somewhat as well. But I, I think we're, we're a better side than they are. I think uh, there will be a sense of unity 
unity uh, amongst the team and and that will all pay dividends. Yeah, um, at Expertsy, he says, would you rest important players for Saturday? Is challenging City the priority? I don't think you can, can you, Anfield? You just can't do it. Mind you, as as he pointed out on his Twitter feed the other day, there was Arsenal in the Cup last season with the, the game of seven defenders. One of the issues here is that United do have a lot of players out, so I don't know how many players you can rest. I think there'll be, I'll be I think there'll be some changes. I mean, it's hard to make a call on that one, but but potentially, aside from the long termers, so so Vidic, Fletcher, Owen, Cleverly, who are all definitely out. There's doubts about Nani. You might have this broken bone in his foot. Rooney hobbled off. That might be an issue. Rio's back's a problem, although it sounds like he he might make it, but but we don't know exactly. Do we? Uh, Rooney, you know, hobbled off. Will that be an issue there? Welbeck's had this thigh problem, so is is he fit? So there's a whole host of question marks over players aside from the ones that we know are out. So it doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? So it may well be that Ferguson's down to the bare bones for the in the squad anyway, and that he hasn't got much choice about making a few changes, and we might see a few younger players on the bench as a result. Well, the reserves are playing as we speak now at half past seven on Thursday night, and it's an incredibly full-strength reserve side. So it doesn't look like he's resting anyone from the reserves in order to keep them fresh for the weekend. So I don't think there's going to be any massive surprises. I, I would be surprised, what highly surprised, if players like Friars or Keane were even considered for the first team. No, I mean they could still be on the bench, but yeah, they're, they're not going to be starting. I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a pretty strong side, but there may be some changes. Yeah, because I mean, you know, just because they have to be as, uh, and and home to Stoke is far from the hardest game in the, that massive title challenge, is it? Stoke don't generally do very well at Old Trafford. They almost never do well at Old Trafford, and historically speaking, will be a, a three-pointer in the bag. Having said that, uh, I mean it's a, it's a shorter rest period than Ferguson might want. I mean it's Saturday morning to Tuesday evening, but he will take that into account. Count. And he won't take Stoke lightly because that's pretty foolish because they're, they're, they are um, in the vernacular an honest side, aren't they? they? They're not going to be cheating their manager, unlike Liverpool, of course, who will be like men on whatever drug it is that makes men play in a possessed fashion because that's what Liverpool will definitely be like on Saturday. Uh, and as opposed to the absolute pathetic performance they put in against Bolton the other week. So Stoke will give it a real effort and that means that means United do have to think about that game. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a, of course a very important game if United don't beat Stoke at home. It's one of those games that, of course, City would, you'd expect to win similar kinds of games. So yeah, that might well mean an effective five-point gap. It, that's obviously crucial. I mean, the, the question of priorities is really interesting, of course, and it's skewed by the fact that it's Liverpool, which the fans always want to beat Liverpool, of course. But, you know... Everybody would obviously prioritise the league over the FA Cup. Although we beat Liverpool on Saturday, and the FA Cup's starting to look eminently winnable, isn't it? There's still some big teams in there, and I mean City out, of course. And if we knock Liverpool out, it's another rival. And Arsenal are still in it. Uh, we'll see after the weekend, of course, and, and ditto Chelsea. So there are, there's still plenty of there's plenty of competition left in that competition. Of course, I mean the thing with Ferguson is traditionally he hasn't always played his strongest side in the FA Cup. So even if we do beat Liverpool. It could it could well be he gets to the semi final stage and he makes a few changes and because it's right in the middle of the some of the, the big games at the end of the season mm, so yeah um, that's I mean that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, the reason why you know you haven't won the cup since 2004 of course but I mean that has been because we've got to the latter stage of the Champions League so often which obviously we're not going to do this season being as how we are no longer in the Champions League but there will be the Europa League and if he starts getting to the semi final stage of that I guess he'll prioritise that over the FA Cup.
Yeah, maybe, maybe. Although I can't, I just don't see how there's any way we get to the latter stages of that competition, given given our squad is absolutely falling apart at the seams, and we're on, where it's the twenty sixth of January. Uh, y- yes, well, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's there are there are the long termers. I mean, we know cleverly will be back soon ish. You know, it's February time, so so he, he'll be back. Vidic and Fletcher will not get back. Owen is back in training. Not it's going to make a huge amount of difference. Uh, and the rest of them are, are little niggles. I mean, you've got to hope that Ferdinand's uh, problem clears up quick, but historically it hasn't always, has it? So we don't know about that one. The rest of them just get fit for God's sake. Well, if Nanny's if Nanny's got a broken foot, that that sort of puts that a bit further up the scale, doesn't it? Put a plaster on it. T- take some maxi muscle or whatever he needs. Just just you know get on with it so the, the the Liverpool game they cut our allocation again yeah standard 5,000 and a bit so it, I mean strictly speaking it's supposed to be a quarter of the ground isn't it the FA Cup or is it 15% up? I never quite remember the rules and I know it's changed over the years yes yeah, not the full allocation I think we've got 900 short and it's uh, it's because there are uh, yeah historically apparently when we go to Anfield we block the gangways and that's not safe of course if you watched Liverpool against City in the Carling Cup this week every single person on the cop was standing and they were standing right through the gangway. So maybe they should cut the allocation in the home end too. <laughs> maybe they should. And congratulations to Paul on reaching the final of the Carling Cup. Not something I necessarily think you'd normally hear on a Manchester United podcast. But given uh, who they were playing against, I think it's probably on balance better that they knocked out City. Because uh, I think City need that confidence to knock down a peg or two as often as possible. Well, they, they do. And it, it is happening recently, isn't it? And I think that's a good thing in terms of the title. I don't know if I can face Kenny Dalgan his smug self-satisfied face when they win if they win or stevie me i just oh the thought of it's horrible. i'm not gonna watch the game i'm not watching the carling cup final i don't care about it i, I god i just hope cardiff win i don't care how i don't care if they pick the ball up run it into the <laughs> net and the fa executive chairman proves all the liverpool fans right and jumps on the pitch himself and throws <laughs> it into the net i don't care how it happens just lose it must be horrible being a proper football fan ed it must be no good at all yeah this this you go through life you know imperiled by the prospect of your uh, your opponents winning it's, it's, it's just something about Kenny Dalglish's face though. it's just so it's just so it's just so smackable wouldn't it? you know I'm not a man of violence but I'd like to give it a slap with a fish <laughs> interestingly Liverpool have been terrible in the league recently haven't they that, that. terrible I mean, Bolton they were awful they were just awful at Bolton and Bolton Bolton are awful so that tells you how awful they were yeah they've, they've been really bad I mean this of course will buy Kenny Dalglish some time because I think I mean he's been in a job a year now and there's obviously at that stage perhaps the honeymoon period starts to disappear and people start to think about how much progress have they really made because there's no chance they're making the Champions League this season and given some of their performances recently it probably won't make Europe either uh, and because I mean there's really only one place in UEFA Cup you know so they're going to have to finish fifth in order to get depending on what happens to the cup competitions of course and I suppose they'll they will get a place from the Carling Cup final if they manage to beat Cardiff. But any, in any case, you know, I don't think there's been a massive amount of progress at Liverpool in a year. He's spent a huge amount of money on some very average players. And so at some point it'll come under pressure, but except he's Kenny O'Gleish, of course, and he could probably go to the toilet in the middle of the Anfield pitch and the fans would come up and clear it up for him. I was going to make a joke about the signing of Charlie Adam and how that relates to your metaphor, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's beneath me. Right, so we've had some uh, questions on the old Twitter. 
We, we had a question from at T Scorpio asking if Nanny really is out for two months. Is that the end of our already difficult title challenge? A key, a key player, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how Ferguson's going to counter that one. Obviously, Ashley Young is coming back to fitness, not going to be ready for Liverpool. In fact, probably won't really be ready for another couple of weeks at best. Young's going to be a key player. He needs to hit the ground running really quickly if, if Nanny is out for several weeks and uh, he needs to get back the form that he had the early part of the season. Whether whether he'll do that, I don't know, because his form definitely tapered off, didn't it, before he got the injury. And, and aside from that, we're talking Park Ji Sung, and that's, that's a pretty scary thought. The coward's winger, as he was called by someone once uh, and it really is because he's only ever there in a defensive role and, and when United actually need to go and attack and break down teams uh, it breaks down around him doesn't it so there is a problem it, I don't think it means the end of United's title challenge but it's another it's another blow to what United want to achieve this season what's Ashley Young's status he's back in he's back in training so I think Ferguson said about 10 days Young and Nanny are you know I mean I, I don't think Young is as naturally talented as Nanny I don't think many would argue that he is but he can be very effective and if if he finds form and fitness again uh, both of which have been missing for some time then he does you know tactically do quite a similar job to Nani you play him on the left wing he cuts inside a lot he opens up opportunities he's a decent passer you know there's there's a lot going on there so so some of that is potentially replaceable as long as Valencia stays in excellent form on the right wing uh, and then you don't have to play Park on the left the other thing that I've been thinking about is the possibility of Ryan Giggs being played on the left wing yes maybe although how, how much can Ryan Giggs really play he certainly can't play two games a week once the Europa League kicks off again and it's questionable whether he could play the full 90 minutes playing in that position as well but maybe maybe Skulls comes back into the team and Giggs does go out to the left I mean we need some players fit that's for sure that's a f- for sure Skulls may have to play more games than we thought uh, we need Anderson back fit quick we need all the defenders to stay fit we need Nannies to be a, a bruised foot not a broken foot we need Ashley young to come back quickly and we need all our strikers to stay fit at a, at a minimum I mean you know and that's it's, it's been insane as a season for injuries and really insane and, and I hope someone now I mean you could write it off as un- unlucky but I hope someone somewhere is having a real look at our medical situation and asking whether, whether everything's being done right at the club I mean you've seen a ton of injuries it's ever since Fergie sacked Mike Stone about five years ago we had tons of injuries that's that's what it is it's a curse it's a curse at GSTI panic asks could these numerous injuries be an indicator of wrong training or are our guys just a bit more injury prone than other players in the Premier League you do it does make me wonder it really does make me wonder about what's going on with the medical stuff yeah I just spend an awful lot of money on upgrading Carrington so it's got much better facilities so so there's you know you could look at that and say well they're sensible best facilities possible giving the boys a, a good chance or they've done a bit of a strategic review in house and thought something ain't working here yeah right so you think you mean they've spent that money very very recently well they are it's planned right to, so they're, right they're right upgrading right. Carrington with uh, much better medical facilities yeah interesting that, that is really interesting uh, in in Fergie's 93 94 diary that I read last summer because I like to keep on the cutting edge of what's going on in now he said he think he thought a few of the players were getting too comfortable in the physio room and maybe need to turn the temperature down a bit in there <laughs> in- interesting philosophy yeah yeah I don't think I think 
that might be one of those ways in which he's adapted and changed with the modern game. Um, a really interesting question from at Mark underscore Pud. His question is a two-parter. Is Lindegaard the de facto number one now? And when do we think De Gea will next start? Lindegaard is clearly the de facto number one for the time being. He's... Well, he's, he's four or five games in a row now, isn't it? So, yeah. yes, he's the number one at the moment. Uh, De Gea could play this weekend. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he could. And he, he could get some games in the UEFA Cup too. So, and I actually... I, you see, the, the thing is, with Lindegaard, I just don't rate him that highly. I mean, I, I'm trying to like him because he seems like a nice guy. Great Twitter feed. He's funny. He's a pro. He wants to do well. And he doesn't make huge amounts of obvious mistakes. But but it just strikes me as just being a bit just a bit average. I mean, got a pretty weak hand on Van Persie's shot as well, I thought. So there's uh, you just kind of think, well, would a top keeper have done better there? And there's been a few like that. So I'm, I'm not convinced Lindegaard is good enough for United long term. Unfortunately, De Gea has had enough troubles this season that short term, he's not good enough for United either. Long term, I can't say I really don't have any doubts, but but that could be proven wrong, of course. I, it, it has been known that uh, my pontificating on this show has turned out to be completely and utterly wrong on occasion. Just, just once or twice, but you do get the odd thing, right? Um, did we not both predict that Arsenal, we'd beat Arsenal 2-1? No, I said 1-0, you said 2-1. I think you got it right, yeah. Oh, OK. Oh, right. Sorry, that wasn't me just trying to like point out that I got it right and you got it. That was not my intention at all. Passive-aggressive again. It's like the time you blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and then you unfollowed me a couple of weeks ago as revenge. I'd like to say an absolutely huge thanks to Scott Crane, who wrote a really lovely review of the show on iTunes. If you do have the time, a review on iTunes is extremely helpful to us. We've got a question from at Zlatan Magic. Excellent username. Uh, what was the point of Fergie buying Mame Biram Duf and Michael Owen and then ending up having seven strikers? Well, Michael Owen was free, so it was just like, well, we might as well, just in case he miraculously gets fit. And Mame Biram Duf, I mean, the thing is, you could say, what was the point of buying Hernandez? And then Hernandez turned out to be really good. Yeah. It's just it's just the way that Fergie does business. He- I, I, well, it's the way United do business at the moment. Yes, I, I think that's exactly what they did. I think I think in, in uh, Rooney, they had their banker, although, you know, obviously doubts about whether he'd stay and all that. And in Berbatov, there's some lack of assurance about his role in the team and long term at United. And and so, yeah, he's, he's taken a punt on Hernandez, taken a punt on Mame Buramdiouf. Owen was free. Danny Welbeck has blossomed in a way that I don't think everyone, anyone could have really predicted. So there were an awful lot of doubts, I think, about the United striking situation. And he's stocked up on forwards. Yeah. And that none of them will be on absolutely enormous wages, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, maybe Michael Owen's wages are. I know, I can't imagine they're near the top. He's one of the no, top no, players not at the at club. All. Yeah, I think it's uh, highly incentivized. I mean, this is one of the things, of course. It, it's a it's a very clear strategy from right from the top from the owners that uh, two two things and this was actually in one of their documents. Two things they did aside from the transfer policy, which we know is aimed at buying younger players, therefore cheaper with a resale value. That one's been known for some time. The other thing is they want to make contracts more incentivized rather than pure wages. So and and Welbeck's contract it looks is the same way. So he will get lots of bonuses for playing games, playing certain amount of games a season, scoring certain amount of goals, United winning trophies, which got you know, all these things that might be tied to commercials in some more direct than others, but but they want to try and structure the wage so it's more reflective of United's business. And and you might say that's fair, but but United are in a competitive world, so they might struggle to do that. But we'll we'll, uh, we'll see with that one, but it's definitely a policy. Well you're not gonna be able to incentivize Wesley Schneider like that are you for example because he'll just say well all right then i'll go to city right they'll they'll just pay me like millions of pounds a year to get annoyed and go and live in holland or whatever yeah at nick mccory 1985 said he would ask a question to the rank cast but he's just 
busy checking his dog hasn't got a bank account. It's important, important thing to check out in this week uh, where it's been made clear that the canine fraternity have an important role to play in the accounting lives of football managers. They, they do, but I'm quite sure that, that there's nothing in any of the tax laws that say dogs have to pay tax. So, yeah, Harry's in the clear. I guess it's that time in the show where we do some predicting, but perhaps before we do that, we should predict whether Ravel Morrison is going to survive the transfer window. Seems like it, yeah. I mean, God, it's all just speculation upon speculation, but but it, it does seem uh, that he'll be at the uh, at the club until the summer, and then they'll then he's free to go. Basically, uh, I think that's it. I think it's basically uh, Ferguson and the coaching staff are fed up, so that'll be the last we see of Morrison, and he'll head off to wherever he heads off, and and uh, he can go where he wants, and United will be due some kind of compensation but it'll be training compensation basically I mean if it's within the UK it'll be a tribunal no control over that at all and if it's within the EU economic area then it will be a formula based on UEFA's training compensation scheme and it'll be virtually nothing so I mean the financials are, uh, are not important really but I don't think we'll be seeing him by beyond the summer yeah it's uh, it's really sad it does look I mean you know I don't know anything about this except from what everyone's read everyone who cares about the Morrison situation read the Daniel Taylor piece in the Guardian at the weekend saying basically the club have given up on him and the 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 trouble has proved to be worth more than the potential as as was feared that that could happen and and you know it's it's incredibly incredibly sad and fa- fans reacted pretty pathetically i thought people were sending abuse to him and his girlfriend on twitter it's like what what are you doing you know yeah i know there's no need for that it was very sad i thought that in the, the daniel taylor piece in the guardian uh, didn't say it directly but kind of hinted at it that ferguson had basically made up the statement that morrison had asked for too much money and in fact that suggested quite heavily that that's not the case and, and really United are just fed up with it and decided that they're going to get rid and really there was no need to slander him in that way or make him uh, out to look bad I guess if that's true it's because Ferguson would have to be saying I've failed to turn this player around and uh, he probably wouldn't want to do that if that's true if it's true you know there's I saw people saying well you know it's understandable spin if it's true it's completely despicable frankly that Ferguson would do that because because you're basically writing off a player as a greedy youngster, you know, who thinks his value's overinflated compared to what it actually is. And whatever truth there is in that, to, to lie about a player turning down a contract over money who's so young and has got such a damaged reputation as it is. I mean, the counter-argument is that the, other, the alternative to, is to say the club has given up on this player because he's too much trouble, in which case you destroy any value he might have anyway. I do think it's a, a pretty horrible thing to do to a young player if it's what's happened but that's a huge if because that really is all in the realm of speculation isn't it it is it is i mean well partly in the realm of speculation morrison flat out denied it on twitter in, in his uh, unique writing style he's never once turned down a contract from united i've unfollowed ravel morrison on twitter because it was just sort of upsetting really it was, it was just just sad to see and and you know people cite influences on him and you know i've seen the word stupid bandied about so often and every time I see it it just it just I just find it very slightly heartbreaking every time I see the word stupid used in connection with Ravel Morrison because that implies that it's somehow connected to intellect and this has got nothing to do with intellect this is all about somebody who's not ever been given the ability to engage their intellect in these decisions because if because the thing is it doesn't like making the decision shall I try really hard to be a Man United player or not when when you know I'm just on the verge of being able to 
do that. There's literally no level of intelligence involved in engaging that decision. It's like, it's not a complex thing. Oh, shall I, shan't I? Don't know whether or not to do that. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, it's just that when you're as damaged as he would appear to be and you have as little ability to be self-disciplined as he apparently has, it, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to overcome those things. They, they can be overcome, but you need the right kind of support. But yeah, and I guess United have apparently tried it and failed. Yeah, absolutely, and and perhaps not not managed to have access to that right kind of support because mm. it's you know it's it's not that easy. Anyway, well, I hope he pulls himself together, wh- whatever that means, yeah. and has a good career. And it's a, it's a real shame that it looks like it's not going to be at United. And uh, may- miracles do happen. Maybe they maybe. do. Absolutely, it's you know it's not impossible. The look, the story is that Ravel Morrison went to Ferguson said I, I want to be in the first team boss wife other players got ahead of me and he was told that he needs to come in for three months of training and not miss, miss a single session and then he'll be uh, brought into the first team too and he didn't manage to do that so you know again one of those urban myths maybe about Ravel Morrison but you know it was it was clear to him and he, he didn't do it so uh, it appears United given up right are you giving up on United this weekend or are United going to go to Anfield and win there for the first time in five years I'm amazed when I looked up at that I didn't think it'd been that long but yeah five years since United have beaten Liverpool at Anfield I don't know I don't know I'm not not confident at all about this one I, if it's any consolation I definitely think we're going to beat Stoke in midweek bold prediction there Paul uh, I'm going to predict a, a slightly scrappy 3-1 win where the, the three comes slightly late and um, apparently flatters us in that game I, I don't know what to say about the Liverpool game they are going to be so ridiculously up for it and we are really really struggling with injuries and you know the mid who what is our central midfield going to be is it going to be Giggs and Carrick again yeah probably yeah if it is I mean I guess Liverpool are a slightly better side to play Giggs and Carrick against than Arsenal because Arsenal have got some very sort of dynamic central midfielders and and you know if Liverpool play a central midfield of Charlie Adam and Steven Gerrard then then we could probably get away with playing to be honest you could get away with playing Skulls assuming that he can you know keep breathing for the 90 minutes yeah I, I don't know I mean you, you know Gerrard's obviously got that kind of physicality to him that could be an issue and, and they will probably just play the one up front so again might be outmanned in midfield so anyway come on prediction prediction well I mean do you think what you say we might be outmanned in midfield do you think we might play a sort of 4-5-1 type thing 4-3-3 I think that'll only happen if Rooney and Welbeck aren't fit right okay yeah because the other thing is we haven't really got any we haven't got a fit three have we to play it'd be very difficult to rustle one up no I mean Berbatov and Hernandez are fit they they could start right so yeah I I don't think United play five across unless uh, unless there are you know injuries to the forwards alright I'm predicting a 1-0 win to Manchester United but that's a kind of a heart versus head prediction which I try, I try not to do too often on the show but but yeah no 1-0 one, one, one last minute scrappy Danny Welbeck points at the number 19 on his back we all go ballistic get our allocation cut by another thousand for the next game so yeah, I actually think United are going to win and I think I think Liverpool will be overhyped on this one they're, they're just going to of course they, they're going to play like men possessed of course because they always do that against United but I think it's going to be too much and uh, I think United keep their cool play a possession game uh, I think United will go there and win so I'm going to say 2-1 to United and and then Stoke a 3-0 win I think it'll be routine maybe not a great performance but but enough well let's see I, 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 fantastic it'd be fantastic to win this game against Liverpool because it would be a victory for good over evil frankly um, and that's got nothing 
do with the two clubs. Uh, I think they're probably morally neutral most of the time. But 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 right now, the the, the Suarez ever situation. I, I've never really wanted to beat Liverpool this badly before when when a, when the championship wasn't riding on it or something like that. You know, it would it'd just be really fitting because the way the way they've handled the Suarez situation, they don't really deserve to win this game. Of course, that's not quite how uh, it works. But but we'll see. I, I I'm going to predict a United win. It's Luke Skywalker at the end of Star Wars. He's about to take that shot. It's over for the Empire. Well, it was over for Liverpool's Empire 20 years ago. Good for Eva. What is right that United win? Morally, ethically, physically, metaphorically, whatever. We've got to go there and win. Just has to happen. We'll see you next week.